Okay, we are in, in uh, the chapter 25 of the book of Genesis, and we've covered half of this chapter last week. <clears throat> now we're going to look at the second half of the chapter. So in this chapter, it talked about the death of Abraham, and that's what we talked about last week. And, and uh, we also talked about the descendants of Ishmael, his son by Hagar, and how he had had Abraham actually had six sons with Keturah after after Sarah's death. And uh, um, so let's pick it up now in verse 19. This is now talking about Isaac. And of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there is the least talked about uh, Isaac. There's, there's much less said about Isaac than, than the, other, the other two, uh, than Ab- Abraham and, and Jacob. But let's see what it says about Isaac and his sons. In verse 19, now these are the records, this is Genesis 25:19. Now these are the records of the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled within her. And she said, if it is so, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two people will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Now the first came forth red, all all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. And afterward his brother came forth, and with his hand holding onto Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old, when she gave birth to them. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man, living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff. For there... For I am famished. Therefore, his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First, sell me your birthright. Esau said, Because I'm about to die, so of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, First, swear to me. So he swore to him, and he sold the birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and rose and went on his way, Thus Esau despised his birthright. Okay, um, let's look at this in verse 19. These are the records of the generation of Isaac. These are the records of the generation of Isaac. I love the scriptures. I love the word of God. These are the records. These are records. These are the recordings. These are the generations of Isaac. God records these things. Now, remember, if you do not like genealogies, it's because your taste is corrupt. God likes it. God uses them. And you don't see genealogies after the life of Jesus on earth. 
You don't see genealogies because after that, it's not needed. Jesus has already come. We had to be able to document back Jesus historically going back to through Abraham, going back all the way to, to, uh, um, to Adam. We had to be able to document the coming of the Messiah. So God likes genealogies and he gives us genealogies. Plus it breeds authenticity. This is not the writings of something that is made up. You don't give details for something that is made up. You don't say, hey, go and check this, go and check that. When you have fables, what you say is, don't check it out. You say, if you don't believe this, then you'll be cursed. And if you try to check into this, your, your, your firstborn child will go blind or something. I mean, you, you put omens and curses around it. God gives us these records. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. So remember, Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 years old. And he, then, and he became the father of Isaac. And so when Isaac was 40 years old, he got married to, to uh, uh, Rebekah. It doesn't tell us here how old Rebekah was. Maybe at some point in the Bible it references it. I, I don't recall. But uh, um, we, don't, we don't know the age from this context, where, where she was in this, how old she was. But we do know that she was a very a blessed young lady. She was the one who had come with the servant and said, I'll give you water, and then said, let me water all your camels too. And that meant that she had to do Many, many trips. We talked about the amount of water that she would have had to bring for 10 camels because a camel can drink, one camel can drink over 50 gallons of water. And, and she had to carry something that was probably three gallons on her shoulder. She had 10 camels to water. So she was a very helpful young woman, so a tremendous young woman. And then it says that, and it documents her background. And then in, in verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren and the Lord answered him and Rebekah his wife conceived. So then we're told later that, that, uh, uh, he was, that, that Jacob was, uh, I'm sorry, that Isaac was 60 years old when his sons were born. So it was 20 years that she suffered with barrenness. 20 years. This is not like two weeks. This is 20 years. So if you think you suffer a little bit, I bet None of you have, have, have uh, suffered with something for 20 years because you're not 20 years old yet, all right? For 20 years, she suffered with barrenness. And in, the, in that culture, it was all the more problematic than it is in this culture. And so what happens is that when a woman, if it's six months after marriage and they're still not pregnant, they're talking to all the other women, what do I do? You know, what do you, you know help me out here. And so this is a big deal. It says in verse 21, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife's wife because she was barren. Now, we don't know if he had waited 20 years and then he started praying for her and boom, she became pregnant, or if he had been praying for her all along. We're not told. But we are told that he had a right response. His response was to pray for her. You know, it, it is so common in, in my life as well to right away, if, if, if there's a sickness, to just think, well, you know, I, I better go see a doctor. And then only when there's a real seriousness there to go and pray about this thing. But you, you see this, that he prayed and God answered. Now, maybe he had been praying from the first year and continuing to pray 
for 20 years before God answered. We are not sure. But we do know that there was a right response within Isaac to pray. And what we do know is he didn't restore, resort to, to taking on a, a concubine as his father Abraham had done and his mother uh, uh, Sarah had suggested. He didn't resort to that. For 20 years he didn't resort to that. That's a big deal because in that culture it was quite accepted. If, if the woman couldn't bear it, you, you got some other woman who was a concubine to do this. For 20 years he held on. And so again, this is another good sign concerning Isaac. And it speaks well of Isaac. Isaac is in the, the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. And then it says, And the Lord answered, and Rebekah his wife conceived. But the children struggled within her, and she said, if it, if it is so, why then am I this way? And in fact, the, the literal on that is, Wherefore do I live? The struggle within her was so intense, she didn't think she was going to be able to endure this. It's not like, oh, I felt the baby kick. You want to see the baby kick? No, it's not that. There was something deep struggling within her, so much so she didn't think that she was going to be able to live. And, and uh, uh, she didn't know at this point that there were twins within her, and she didn't understand the struggle. So we see again in her a right response her response is that, so she went to inquire of the Lord. She inquired of the Lord. And so you see, God is speaking not just to men. God is speaking very much to women. God spoke concerning Sarah, and He spoke to Sarah outside the tent. And then Hagar, she was fleeing. God spoke to her. And then she went out again with the son that God had promised. God spoke to her again. God is very much engaging with women. This is not just a faith for men. Not at all. He is engaging with women. Her right response was, she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord spoke to her. Verse 23, it says, The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. That is the word goyim. So goyim often means foreign nations, but it can mean Israel too. Because the two nations that were in her womb were Israel and Edom. The two nations are in your womb, and two peoples will be separated from your body. And one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Now, neither of them was born yet, and God had already made a choice. There is election in the Bible. It is written with an iron pen, and you can't get away from it. And you may not think it's fair, but the Bible isn't for us to say what's fair and what's not fair. God is God and He can do what He, do, he does. What does He think? He's God or something? Well, yeah, He's God. He can do this type of thing. There is election. He elected one over the other, even before they were born. The one people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And in verse 24, it, it says, When her days were fulfilled, behold... There were twins in her womb. Well, God had told her that, that uh, there's two peoples in you. She had twins in her womb. Uh, it's not like they could go to the doctor and find out, you know, early on, and doctors, don't worry, you know, you're having twins, and that's what all the struggling is inside. Verse 25. Now the first came forth red, and all like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. Now Esau means hairy. Esau means hairy. So they named him 
after the appearance. So he was covered, you know, he's a hairy kid. And, and uh, once in a while you see that, that a child will be born and they'll be, have a lot of hair on them. And, and uh, he was red. This word red is, is uh, the same word where it says that David had a ruddy appearance, a red appearance. It's used of David. It is used of Esau. And he was hairy. And so they named him after something about the way he looks. They named him. When I was growing up, often people were called nicknames according to the way they looked. And it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't at all uncommon if a, if a child was, was real chubby that you'd, you'd name the child after that chubbiness. Now I know that in the 2019 sensitivities, you're not allowed to do that. But did you know it wasn't always 2019? We weren't always as cultured as, as the people are today. And so they named people, and it, it wasn't at all uncommon for friends to nickname one of their friends something by characteristics they saw in that person, and it wasn't considered an evil thing. It was just, just the way it was. And because of that, it was very easy to remember very often the nicknames, because the nicknames were around the characteristics of the individual. And uh, um, so verse 26, and, a- and afterward, his brother came forth with his hand holding on Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she gave birth to them. So again, we don't know from this context how old Rebecca was. Maybe she was 15 when she got married. And so, so this would be, so she'd be 35 now. We don't know. Uh, it's unlikely that she had hit 20 years without marriage. Um, uh, probably she was, at this point, she was somewhere under 40. But we, we don't know for sure. But now Jacob is named not for something about the way he looks, but for some action that he did, holding on to the heel of his brother. And this, this word Jacob, this, this word Jacob is, is often uh, translated as, as a, a supplanter. But it just says its primary meaning is one who takes by the heel, one who holds on to the heel. That's a neutral term. It's often in in Christian circles, Jacob is made out to be not a very good guy in Christian circles. In Jewish circles, that's not at all the case. So a lot of times we look at Scripture based on the Western world in which we've grown up. And in Christian circles, they look at at, at, uh, Jacob as a conniver. This is a very neutral statement. He was holding on to the heel of his brother. It's secondarily a meaning could be supplanter. But the primary meaning is he was just holding on to his brother's heel. So he was named after an action, not about the way he looked, but after an action of his. And uh, this, again, was, was often characterized by, by when I was growing up, people were named and nicknamed after an action. So if a person was a fast runner, you know, they, to call them Speedy, would, and, and, and then everybody calls him Speedy growing up. And you wonder, well, how did he get the name Speedy? Well, he ran, he was a really fast kid. And, and uh, so people were named after certain actions of theirs. And, and uh, um, okay, so, so then in, in verse, verse 27, so... Verse 27, it says, When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. All right, so in Christian circles, again, Esau is is looked at as 
you know, this tough guy, he's a hunter. In the book of Genesis, actually, and you'll find this in Jewish literature, being a hunter of the field is not a good thing. Uh, uh, Nimrod was this great hunter. And that's talked about in Genesis chapter 10, verses, verses 8 through 12, in the same book. And Nimrod is believed to be one of the dominators of this Tower of Babel, this rebellion that eventually took place. Uh, uh, one of the progenitors of that. And so the boys grew up, and it says, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field, and but Jacob was a peaceful man. This word peaceful is not at all hard for the scholars to translate, but within Christian circles it's become hard because they want to throw this into, in, in, into being something that's not that good. Uh, sometimes it, it's translated in Christian circles as plain. But the, the Hebrew word is tam, and this word tam actually means perfect. It is the same word that is used for Noah. It says in Noah chapter 6 verse 9, the same word tam is used of Noah as he was a perfect, or not perfect in the sense that God is perfect, but as far as humankind goes, a righteous man. The same word was used of Job in chapter 1, verse 8, when it says Job was a man of righteousness. Job was a man of perfection. It's the same word. This guy, Jacob, is put in the same category as, as, uh, um, as, as Noah and as Job. And in the book of Ezekiel, it, it characterizes three people as being extremely righteous. And it's Noah, Job, and Daniel. Now, Daniel hadn't yet been born at this time. But he's put with the same name, this word Tam, this perfection. So we look at Jacob as this terrible conniver. The Bible actually does not look at him that way. And, and the Hebrew writings don't look at him this way. This is purely a Christian construct to make Jacob sort of like a mama's boy staying at home. The one who was out wandering was one who was away from the family unit. One who was rebellious at heart, being away from the family unit. The one who stayed home is Jacob became a shepherd. And Jacob really understood shepherding. We're going to see how good of a shepherd he was. If you could get a PhD in shepherding, he had it. He knew how to breed goats like nobody else knew how to breed goats. I mean, this guy was amazing in how he was. And you think shepherding is sort of a mama's boy type of thing? Shepherding is hard. David was a shepherd. Shepherds had to defend the flocks. These guys are tough guys, and we're going to see, we're going to see the strength of Jacob. How he's able to move a stone later on that it usually took multiple people to move that stone. He was anything but a mama's boy. And, and this, this word that it describes him have, uh, of in verse 27 is a word of perfection. He was a very righteous man, it says. Now in verse 28, now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. It, and this literally means game was in his mouth. But Rebecca loved Jacob. Now, to love somebody just because you like what they bring you is probably not a very good reason to love the person. It's sort of like, you know, I love, I love this son because he's a football player. I, 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 I like football. You know, that may not be the greatest reason to, to, to love Somebody, but but this whole thing, it, it, it talks about in in uh, um, in Malachi 
in Malachi chapter 1. So Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. And in Malachi chapter 1, we see who, who among them God loved. You know, it, 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 it turns out that what, uh, what Rebecca, the one that Rebecca is loving is, is actually the, very much the one that, that God loved. So if you look in, in Malachi chapter 1, Verse 2, it says, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. I loved Jacob, but I hated Esau. That same word is quoted in Romans chapter 9, verse 13. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Rebecca was the one who was love, seeing the same thing that God was seeing. And, uh, uh, and so, so it says this. And it actually says in, um, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it, it tells us something about Esau. It says, see, uh, so Hebrews 12, verse 15 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and by it many be defiled that there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. So the Bible characterizes Esau as an immoral man and a godless man. He was godless and he was immoral. But Esau loved him because Esau liked the taste of game. And, and um, uh, so, so if, if, you, if you see in the Christian context, they will often talk about this as a parent should never love one child more than another. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that, and I'm not saying that that's right, but I'm just saying, having had four children, it is easier to love some children more than others, all right? And I know that's like, how could you say that? I'm just telling you, some kids are more difficult than others. It is easier to love some people more than others. And I'll tell you, even within this class, it's easier to love some people in this class more than others. Look, I'll turn it on myself. It is much easier to love Shireen than it is to love me. Because, because I'm going to get in your face and tell you something when you got a problem. Shireen is just going to say, you're wonderful. I mean, she's just always going to tell you how nice you are, so you're going to love her. And, and it is easier to love Shireen than it is to love me. It is. I, I, I confess that. Any day, people love her so much that they tolerate me. That's the story of my life. That's the story of my marriage. It is easier to love some children than others. Some children just cause you so much headache. Now, none of my kids have done that. Not my kids, but from what I hear of other parents, some kids can cause so much trouble, and other kids are just, like, perfect in comparison. They cause you no trouble. So, so uh, uh, for some reason, uh, uh, Esau loved this guy, even though he was godless and he was immoral. This is what the Bible says. He was godless and he was immoral. So for, in verse 29, when, Jake, um, when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and was famished. This word famished doesn't mean starving. It just means he was worn out. He had a long day. He wasn't starving. Remember, Isaac's home is very wealthy. He got the vast majority of what Abra- Abraham's wealth. He got almost all of it aside from a few gifts that were given to the other sons. He could have gone into any other tent and had any servant make him something, but he saw his brother cooking some red lentils. Have you ever had red lentils? Shireen makes red lentils. You 
In fact, I'll ask her for one of the Sundays over lunch to make a pot of red lentils. And you can taste what Esau sold his birthright for. In my opinion, it's not worth it. It's just a bunch of lentils. But anyway, he was, he was famished. He was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there for I am famished. This is, if you look at the direct translations of this, it is, let me gulp the red red. Let me gulp the red red. So this was the red stuff. Let me gulp that stuff. It was this, you know, the, the, this sort of like an animal. I'm just going to wolf this thing down. And, and I see that every week on Sundays. I mean, it's like students haven't ever eaten all week. And they come and it's just, the plate's just gone. I mean, everything on it. And they go back up. I was exactly the same way when I was your age. So I was, Shireen says that all the time. She says, you just, just, just the plate would just, everything on it would dis, disappear. You'd have this huge plate of rice. And she and her sisters would stand in the kitchen and giggle because they'd say, they'd put this big plate in front of me and they'd say, watch, it's going to be gone in two seconds. <laughs> and that's what would happen. And then I'd be asking for more. So, so Esau came in and he, he wanted that stuff. Therefore, his name was called Edom. So he was called Red. This word Edom means means Red. He was called Red because he sold his birthright. So the land where he was was called Red. So it was Red was the hair coming off him, which means hairy. The, 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 his name means hairy. And then Red because of Edom. Verse 31. But Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. Now this was allowed. You could sell your birthright. And you can look at the laws of those days. You could sell the birthright. What comes with birthright is comes with land. It comes with the two-thirds of the inheritance in this case. And in this case, it comes also with a spiritual blessing. Now, who would do this? Who would sell for a single meal a birthright unless they were totally immoral and they just flat out didn't care? They just flat out didn't care. And that's what Esau was. And so in verse 32, Esau said, Behold, I'm about to die, so of what use then is the birthright to me? Who cares? I'm about to die anyway. This sense of just thinking, well, I'm about to die anyway, is godless. To think, I'm about to die anyway, so what's the use of this? You know, what does it matter if I, if I treasure my virginity? What does it matter? You know, when we take something that is sacred to God, something that God has endowed us with, and we just toss this thing away as if it doesn't even matter, that is godlessness. That's godlessness. There are treasures in life that God has given us that we are to treasure and to value. These things are valuable. We're not supposed to be godless and just toss these things away and say, look, you know, right now I'm, I'm famished. You don't understand my sexual hunger. You just don't understand. So what does it really matter? Because I'm going to lose it at some point anyway. What does it matter? This is totally godless response. And that's how we can be. And that's how this guy was. It was a godless response. Esau said, behold, I'm about to die. This whole feeling that, oh, I'm going to die anyway. That's a godless response. It's without care for the future. I don't care about the future. I'm just for right now. Look, I'm going to die. You, you know, let's eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we shall die. This quote from the scriptures, actually. 
This, this is totally a godless response. And this is exactly what he had. And so in verse 33, Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. So Esau didn't do this unwillingly. Taking an oath meant something in that day. He was, he did it. He took the oath. You know, it, it meant nothing to him. The future meant nothing to him. The value of what God had for him because of his being born first meant nothing to him because he was hungry. Just because he was hungry. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau, Esau despised his birthright. Esau despised it. It wasn't just a, a passive thing that he didn't value it at all. He despised it. Remember, this is not a neutral thing. It's not just that he didn't care about it. He despised it. And he just ate and he walked away. There's a verse in, in Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 20. It says, This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says... I've done no wrong. This whole idea that I can participate in evil and just just say, I've done no wrong. It's all right. Without having anything of a repentant attitude is a real problem. It's not that we never do wrong. It's what's our attitude in the midst of this. It's like, it doesn't matter anyway. Oh, all right, I did it, but it's no big deal. We eat, we wipe our mouth, and we walk away. No, it's do you fall on your knees and say, God, forgive me. I am a terrible sinner. That's what this is about. It's understanding repentance. It says he he ate and drank and he rose up and he walked away. It was nothing. Just like the adulteress. To just wipe her mouth and say, I've done no wrong. And just walk away. This whole idea of not valuing and then despising. There is clearly election in the Bible. God elects a people. Just like He elects a nation, Israel, He selects out a nation. And electing an entire nation would be a bigger crime, if election be a crime, than electing just one person. But this whole thing of election, I don't think anybody here in this room or anybody listening to this is among the non-elect. And the reason I say that is, if you are not among the elect, you just don't care. And you it's not even just a matter of not caring. You despise it. You despise it. You hear Jesus and you're like, oh, come on. It says of Jesus in Isaiah 53, it says of, of, of the Messiah when he comes, it is one from, he was one from whom men hide their face. He was despised and we did not esteem him. It wasn't that they were hiding their face, cowering because of his holiness. He was despised and we did not esteem him, the scriptures say. This is hiding the face like, oh, this is so gross to me. You would not be sitting here if you were among the non-elect. You would not be sitting here. You'd be like, this is so utterly ridiculous, it disgusts me, and you'd walk out. That you are here, 
means that you are un- among the elect. You are among the elect to be saved. You will be saved if you are among the elect. That's what the scriptures tell us. What, what I want to do is I want to look at Romans chapter 9 and we're going we're gonna to close with this passage from Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, we're going to start reading from verse 9. And we're going to see this whole concept of election. Romans chapter 9, verse 9. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebecca also when she had conceived two twins, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to His choice, would stand. Not because of works, but because of Him who calls. It was to her, the older shall serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Verse 14, What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then, it does not depend on the man who wills, or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. You see, there is an elect. God has mercy. Jacob he loved, Esau he hated. Before they were even born, he had gotten his selection. But when one is among the non-elect... There, they despise the Word of God. That's how I can speak to a group like this and to say, you are among the elect. And I urge you, if you are here today, get saved. Because if you are among the elect, God wills it so. And it is going to happen. Let it happen sooner rather than later before you destroy your life. Before you, you get involved in a, with, in a marriage, in a relationship, and, 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 and bring up your kids the wrong way, and you, you have all the turmoil that can come in from this. Get saved now. That's why, that's why God says, now is the acceptable time. Behold, today is the day of salvation. I urge you to get saved this day. I urge you to get saved. I want to explain to you my story. I want to give that to you. I want to explain to you. So if you don't know the Lord here today, we're going to, after this class, we're going to take the Lord's Supper. And then, and then, uh, uh, then we're going to have a meal. And even before that meal, I want to meet with you. And I want to share with you about my story with the Lord. And you will get saved today. Do it today. Just get saved today. Let it be done today. You are among the elect. Don't Don't put this thing off. If you were not among the elect, you would despise this. Let us treasure and value these things that God treasures and values. And when we blow it, let us not be like Esau. Just get up, eat and drink and walk away. Let us beat our breasts and say, Lord God, forgive me because I am a sinner. That is the right response to our many failings that we say, Lord, forgive me because I am a sinner. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your mercies and for your grace. You are so good. 
Thank you, Lord God. You are so good to us. And Father, I pray for the unbelievers who are here that this very day they would get saved. They would get saved this day. And Lord, I pray that you open up their hearts and that they would follow the commandment which says, this is the commandment that we believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for the believers that are here today that they would not despise what God values. They would not despise the things that are a treasure to you, the things of honesty and integrity, the things of of virginity and wholesomeness. Father, I pray that you would give them a heart to love that which you love. Lord Jesus, blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. You are so good to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you have done. And I pray thee, O Lord, save souls. In the name of Jesus, amen.